Attention Life Tips listeners, looking for better ways to become better, smarter, faster, and wiser? Well, listening to Life Tips is a great start, but how about if we gave you an easier way to listen? Introducing the WebmasterRadio.fm mobile app, now available for iPhone and Android. Listen to Life Tips and even more programs that will help you build to a better health, wealth, and lifestyle. Download the WebmasterRadio.fm mobile app in the iTunes Store or in Google Play today. Feeling better? Looking better? Making life better? It's Life Tips. We'll explore the latest innovations, introduce you to the latest products, and bring you the tips from experts and environmental pioneers to help you lead a better life. Life Tips. Making your life smarter better, faster, wiser. Here are your hosts. Welcome back to the Life Tips Show, everyone. I'm here with Jennifer Hill. Jennifer, welcome. Good morning, Byron. Thank you for having me. So, Jennifer, we're going to play some cards today when it comes to finding a job. <laughs> but the title of your book is Stop Hoping and Start Hunting. Great, uh, great concept uh, that you have here. Yes, thank you. So what kind of inspired it is I own a staffing firm in Los Angeles, And it broke my heart how many people would come in here and tell me how hard they were trying and how much they were hoping. And the language that people use, as well as the lack of action that's required to find a job, was very disheartening. So that's what led me to writing the book, was a step-by-step guide, so that no matter where you're at in your job hunt, you can flip to any section of the book. If you're going in for an interview, you flip to that section. If you need to update your resume, you can go there. Or if you just need a little mental uplifting prior to an interview, you know, the mental side of the job search is something that so few of us actually touch on, and yet it's the biggest component, no matter how great of a resume you have or how poised your interview answers are or how you come across. If your attitude isn't in line with what you're saying, then you're still going to be passed on at the end of the day. I have a really difficult opening question for you, and here it is. Do you, think there's, any, <laughs> do you think there's any correlation between your work ethic and your job-finding ethic? That is a brilliant question, and I've never been asked that before. So to answer your question, is there a correlation between work ethic and job hunting ethic? I think that absolutely there is a correlation that how you do one thing is how you do anything. So if you are somebody who is a little bit more lackadaisical in your day-to-day job and the way you approach your job, this is very sad to say, but there's a good chance you're more likely to be laid off in the first place. And that same lackadaisical lack of enthusiasm, lack of passion and drive to pursue finding a new job is also going to come across in the interview process. That's a very specific area that I speak about called proactive versus reactive interviewing and proactive versus reactive job hunting. Many years ago when the economy was booming and it was a quote-unquote employee market, you found a lot of employees who didn't even have to try hard to get offers because there was a bountiful amount of jobs and not enough people to fill them. So some of those people are still sitting back on their laurels and thinking that they don't have to try hard to get a job. And I find that in the same way that you have to have that strong integrity in your work ethic, show up, do a good job, do it with a smile, and be passionate about it, if you bring that same enthusiasm to your job search, those are the people who are getting hired. So I would definitely say that there is a correlation there. Next question I have for you is, is 
partially related to the influx of college students about to hit the market. <laughs> um, I feel badly for that. My, my son is a freshman at college, so he's got four years to figure out what he wants to do and how hard he wants to work and all the other good things. But I want to I want to ask you about the first job that you that you take, and not only the first job, but the first manager you work for, and how really critical that is for your overall trajectory, I would argue, in your career. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes, absolutely. So it brings up my memory of the first manager who I ever worked with, and she was very demanding and challenging, but also caused me to rise to levels that I didn't know I was capable of and also helped establish in me a passion for what I've been doing for the last about 11, 12 years now, which is recruiting. And so I think that your first manager can hurt or help your career. And even if you have a bad manager initially, if you can still look at in any situation, whether it's a bad company, a bad manager, a difficult work situation, or a difficult coworker that you're dealing with, if you're always looking at what can I learn from this as opposed to why is this happening to me. Uh, An example of my first job, the first manager I had was very demanding, very high expectations. And in the tenure that I had with that very short term with that manager, I was there about three or four months because there was very high turnover. So the situation itself wasn't ideal for my long-term career, but it set me on the right trajectory to realize that that was my passion. So I think one thing that job seekers, especially recent grads, need to do is, again, going back to the reactive versus proactive job search. So many of us just sit back and we react to the first job offer we get and we say, oh, well, this sounds good enough. Well, in today's job market, good enough isn't going to get you to that $100,000 plus a year job that you want down the road. Good enough isn't going to get you out of bed every day and make you want to show up to work. So I encourage people, whether you're a recent college graduate or even somebody who's been in the field a while, to make sure you have a wish list. Know what it is you want. And to not be afraid to look to a manager for that level of I don't want to say inspiration because it sounds cliche, but look to what you can learn from them. Even the worst managers out there, there's something to be learned from how they manage ineffectively and to always be looking for those little gems that you can build the foundation of your career on. And the great news, I will tell you this, which is good news for I think you said your son who's a freshman, is that recent college graduate jobs are on the uprise right now. There have been more recent college graduate jobs in the last, I would say, eight months than we had in the last five years. So many people who graduated in 2009, 2010, 2011 who had a hard time getting hired are now going to have a lot more job opportunities available, which is why it's even more important to be selective in the first job you choose. I remember I had three job offers when I first graduated from college. One was Enterprise Renegar. They're very well known, by the way, for hiring recent college grads, but they expect you uh-huh. to clean and wash and scrub cards and wearing a suit. The other one was in, with a lending company, and then the third one was with the recruiting company that I wound up going with. And you have to know yourself. Be true to yourself. And for me, I knew I wasn't going to be good at washing cars, and I knew that dealing with the voluminous amount of paperwork required for lending probably wasn't for me, and that's what led me to choosing proactively pursuing a career in recruiting, which wound up being the best choice I ever made. Talk with me a little bit about a makeover, namely a makeover of perhaps your life, (laughs) Um, 
or certainly a makeover of your your resume or your whole approach and your attitude towards towards uh, you know getting a job. Let's talk about that. Okay. So there are many aspects, as you just highlighted, to making one's career over. The first thing we have to look at is, yes, your resume is important. There is a really great web, uh, really great program in Word. I believe it's called Resume Wizard. And there is no excuse in today's market with all the templates that are available out there to not have a neat presentable resume. So first things first is you want to see if you send out 10 resumes to a potential employer, are you getting at least a 30% return on the resumes you're sending out? In other words, if you send out 10 resumes, are you getting at least three or more interviews? If you are, don't touch your resume. It doesn't need to be made over, no matter what anybody says, because that's a pretty good return on your investment of time. However, if you send out that many resumes and you're not getting that sort of return, that is when you want to start to look at what's missing that would make the difference. And a summary of qualifications is something that has recently surpassed an objective because it highlights your overall qualifications. So I think if you have a good summary of qualifications, you show your work history, you highlight your skills, that's what a good resume is made of. Now, in the interviewing side, there are so many components to a good interview. As we talked about, there's the mental side. There's the attitude you come in with. You could be in the most polished suit that anybody has ever purchased. You could be in a $1,000 Armani suit, and you could have the best resume. But if your attitude is one where you have a sense of entitlement, and this is a huge issue with both, both recent graduates and more experienced workers. The more experienced workers have this sense of entitlement of, I've been doing this. I know what I'm doing, you should hire me based on that. And the recent grads, especially the millennials, they have a sense of entitlement of, I'm amazing, you should hire me based on that. And so letting go of that sense of entitlement is a very important way to make yourself over and to literally think about what it is your intention is before you go into the interview. How, If you had a choice, if you had a magic wand where you could create how that interviewer would perceive you, you want to look at who am I going to be in the interview? Am I going to be confident? Am I going to be articulate? And really focus on those attributes before you go in. Now, there's the last part, uh, which is the actual interview itself. What you wear, yes, absolutely it does make a difference. You know, no matter who you are, what color, what age, what shape you come from, there's a big difference between coming into an interview in either if you're a female, a short skirt with stiletto heels and too much jewelry, if you're a man coming in in baggy pants or, you know, wearing too much cologne. All of these things are going to shape the interviewer's perception of you. And what I teach job seekers is we're looking for reasons not to hire you, and so are our employers. So even if your resume gets you in the door, you don't want to give somebody a reason in the first 10 seconds of meeting you to not want to hire you because then it's an uphill battle to try and overcome that obstacle. And then there's, of course, the interview questions. There's a big difference between just saying, I'm hardworking, I'm detail-oriented, you should hire me, and really actually highlighting what value, what is your value proposition, and talk to me about where you're going to increase what I call PEP, productivity, efficiency, and performance. In this job market, employers have the chance to be selective. And if you can't articulate where you've illustrated your value in prior companies, even if you're a recent graduate, you could you could still tie in how it was you spearheaded a project, uh, whether it was through the school or if it was an internship you did or even in a retail job. Always be looking for 
where you've increased productivity, efficiency, and performance, and giving evidence to substantiate those claims of how you've done that. Excellent. I want to take a quick break, but when, when I, before I do, we're going to talk when you come back about playing the right hand and studying <laughs> the players around you, which I think is a really cool topic. Back in just a minute, everyone. Life Tips will be right back after this short break. Guys, are you suffering from FD, fulfillment dysfunction? Let MoldingBox.com's online portal system for inventory, tracking, and returns perform for you. We have the enormous tools you need for complete warehousing, shipping, and handling of all your packages, no matter the size or shape, directly to your customers. MoldingBox.com can also fulfill all your nourishing, nutraceutical, and smooth skincare product desires, including green coffee and Garcinia on demand. Plus, let our in-house printing and CD, DVD manufacturing help you enlarge and maximize your coaching and business opportunity potential. We do everything. Fulfillment, shipping, tracking, inside and out, and all in one place. Moldingbox.com. It's shipping made sexy. When you started your business, you first listened to your professors. Now that your business is growing and gaining ground, you only seek out professionals. PPC Professionals, an industry leader for highly optimized search marketing campaigns with over 30 years of combined management experience. Our professional approach to every campaign helps you find every avenue of revenue so that you can not only stay ahead of your competitors, but get a return on your investment and increase your bottom line. PPC Professionals, personal, professional, PPC services. PPCProfessionals.com. Oh, yeah. My day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use CertifiedKnowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. Let us help you discover the keys to success. The keys to success in your internet marketing. WebmasterRadio.fm presents Marketing Nirvana, presented by CertifiedKnowledge.org. CertifiedKnowledge.org. Overcome the trials and tribulations of the past and let Marketing Nirvana revolutionize your revenue stream and ROI. Marketing Nirvana, presented by CertifiedKnowledge.org. Mondays at... And now back to Life Tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, and wiser. Here are your hosts. Welcome back, Jennifer. So great for you to be on the show today. Thanks much. Thank you, Byron. Before we took a break, we, we were going to talk a little bit about playing the right hand. Can, can you talk about that? Yeah, so it was an interesting situation that came to mind, and what 
what basically what instigated it is there was a gentleman I knew who was an attorney at a major company, and he had what I would call pocket aces. He had 10 years of longevity. He had all the right accoutrements, the right degrees, but you need to know how to play the hand you're dealt. And he was up for a job with another major corporation for a major, uh, I believe it was a council position he was up for. But what he was doing is he was trying to tell them why he was worth it. He was trying to say, look at me, I have pocket aces. I'm amazing. You should pay me because of that. But what I explained to him is you need to know the players in the game. If you tell everybody else you're playing with that you have pocket aces, you might scare them out of the pot. And then, A, you might not get an offer to begin with, or B, you might not get the offer that you want because of the way you play the hand that you're dealt. So there is actually on my website, I talk about how to know the hand that you have. A few things that I talk to people about is how much recent stability do you have? What's your highest level degree? How tech savvy are you? There are a lot of different things that go into determining how, how marketable you are and what your career poker hand is, which then dictates your career poker strategy. An article I just wrote, I believe it was yesterday, was talking about when to know to fold your hand. And what I mean by that is so many of us stay in jobs that we stagnate in, and we stay in jobs that actually hurt our long-term career growth. So you need to always be aware of who you're playing with. Are the people who are sitting at your table, whether it's with your company or the person that you're interviewing with, are they people that you see yourself wanting to win a game with and playing on the same team with, or are those people that you don't want to work with long-term and that aren't going to help you get to where you need to go? So part of that comes into assessing the players and knowing how to play the people that you're working with. There was actually a really interesting article that uh, somebody else wrote that was brilliant about emeralds, rubies, and sapphires, and pearls. And those are all different types of personalities. And in the job hunting market, you need to know how to play with or against those types of personalities. For example, a traditional Ruby personality is somebody who's a little bit more egotistical, a little bit more me, 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 and you have to ask yourself, do I play well with that person? Or somebody who's more of an emerald is a little bit more introverted, a little bit more looking at the overall big picture. And if you try to get an emerald to make a decision, whether it's your potential boss, whether it's a job offer you might have, they're not going to give you what you want right away. They're going to ask a lot of questions. So it all comes down to knowing how to play the people who you're interviewing with, knowing also how to play the people who you're working with, and asking yourself, given the value of my hand, is this a hand that I'm willing to play, and how do I best play it out in the interview? You don't want to come across as too strong, and if you have a lesser hand, you have to really make sure that you're playing strong in the beginning. I, some people might call it bluffing, but what I would call it is if you have a lesser hand where maybe you don't have the same job stability as the next person, or you don't have the higher education, or you don't have the right school on your background, you're going to have to play your hand a little bit more aggressively than the person person who has pocket aces who can slow play it and maybe get a few offers. Does that make sense? It does. One of the things that I wanted to ask you, however, is the importance of, uh, of questions and, and research in general prior to going into a company. I think so many people miss that opportunity, particularly the question aspect. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and any Socratic techniques that you, that you feel are critical when in an interview particularly? 
So something that I encourage every applicant who goes in, actually I don't encourage, I won't even send them out for an interview if they don't do this little bit of quote-unquote homework as we call it, it ties in precisely to what you just said, the three fives. You always want to go into an interview prepared with at the very least five reasons why you want to work for the company, five reasons why they should want to hire you, and five well-thought-out questions, what you just touched on, about the position. I see so many applicants who get to the final stage of the interview, and they've done everything right, and then the interviewer says, do you have any questions for me? And if that applicant responds with, no, thank you, you've answered all my questions, that's not going to cut it. You need to show that enthusiasm, and if you're really trying to figure out if this is the right career for you, you need to be asking the hard questions. What are the biggest obstacles for somebody coming into this position? What are the personalities like in this particular group? Can you tell me about the people who have had the job in the past and what's worked well or what hasn't worked, if you can share that with me? And above all else, my favorite way to have somebody in an, end an interview with regards to a question is one once the interview has completely wrapped up, you've asked your three to five questions at the end, the last thing you want to do to close the interview is say, it was such a pleasure, Byron. I'm so glad we had an opportunity to chat today. That said, I feel like you've really answered all of my questions. Were there any additional concerns, hesitations, or questions that you had about my background that I could answer for you before we wrap up? And that is a brilliant way to end the interview because so many of us kick ourselves. You're on your way home and you think, oh, shoot, I forgot to mention my project management skills or I forgot to mention that I had Excel. So that is one of my all-time favorite ways to end an interview in a strong way and then tying it in earlier to why you want to work for them or why they should want to hire you. Always give strong evidence. No, the analogy I talk about in my book and in a lot of the speaking engagements that I do is that in order to be effective at finding your dream job and to being the one who always gets the offer, you always want to give evidence in the same way an attorney gives evidence to make their client's case. So what I mean by that is you're making a case to the jury, to the potential employer, as to why they should want to hire you. And if you don't give strong evidence to substantiate your claims, for example, if you just say, you're a nice company as opposed to really doing your research, which I think is what you were touching on, and saying, wow, I noticed that you've been around 30 years. I noticed that several of your executives were written up in XYZ Magazine and that your third quarter profit earnings were up over last year. That's what's going to get people hired, and most people don't put in that effort. You know, I, I have my own screening for interviews, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. it it's actually, have you ever read the book called Who by Jeff Smart and Randy Street? No, I would love to know more about it. Uh, it is an awesome book. You absolutely must go out and get it. it it's fantastic. It's a New York Times bestseller. Uh, anyway, they have this whole sort of methodology they use, and their screening interview process is really interesting. The first question they ask is, is you know, what are your career goals? Like just that simple one question is interesting. And they want you to ask that question early in the interview before anything's tainted or and the bottom line is it's powerful because you get to hear about the candidate's goals and passions before you sort of start tainting them with the discussions about your own comments, right? And what you're looking for is whether he or she lacks goals or sounds like an echo of your website, you know, out with them if they are. You know, you're looking for genuine answers you know, let the candidate get sort of the first word in 
um, you know, it, rather than telling the person about, you know, the company and what you do and all the, you know, parroting you do back and forth, let them just, just learn what their goals are. And if they even have any, which is quite interesting. What are your mm-hmm. thoughts on that first question and, and how critical that is in the overall uh, dialogue that happens in an interview? I I just wrote it down. I think it's brilliant. <laughs> I think that's a really great idea, and I'm definitely going to pick up that book as well. So to touch on what you're saying, I think it is important that on the interviewer side that we don't do all the talking because so many of us ask questions where people can give canned answers and or we ask questions that kind of guide them in a certain way. And what I love about the question that you just said, which is what are your long-term career goals, is it's open-ended. And I think that the most important thing for any of us who do interviews out there is to learn just to shut up and let people talk. We are so, as a society, uh, just ready to fill the silence because everybody hates silence. And particularly, uh, men in general need more time to think and to process really deep answers to questions. And you'd be surprised sometimes when you give people 30 seconds or a minute to speak, or even if you give yourself that amount of time, and do what I call allowing a breath, uh, and then allow a breath, and then say, that's a good question, allow another breath, and then give yourself an opportunity to really think it through and give yourself that 30 seconds on the applicant side to really process what you're saying and not just say the first canned response that comes to mind. So I think both on the employer side and on the employee side, it's great because it really gives you some insight into what's going on in the person's mind without you know, kind of guiding them, as you said, into, oh, well, you're a fit for this, and then you don't really discover if they are because you didn't give them a chance to open up. I love your analogy of poker, and you use it so wonderfully. Um, but really, there is a scorecard. Well, in my opinion, there, there's this matchmaking process going on, right? And you know, the person that you're interviewing with is is assigned to, you know, to to judge that match, whether you're a good fit, you know, whether your your goals align, whether your ethics align, whether your your, your work ethic aligns, you know, the whole bit. Um, but but uh, what is your take on that? Isn't this really all about matchmaking, both on on the, uh, both on the behalf of the the person that's interviewing and the interviewee? I mean, it's all about the match, and and how do you get to that fast? Yes, uh, that is a really good analogy. Is that recruiting in many ways, or anybody who's in a hiring capacity, it is very much like being a matchmaker because you're trying to make sure that the company culture that the company goals align with the person of the, that that you're meeting with. For me, as a recruiter, I find that there's a lot of intuition in it. I get people, sometimes I tell my clients this even, the people who come in who are the most polished and give you the best answers often aren't who you want to hire. They're what I call razzle-dazzle you. And they sell you the sun, the moon, and the stars because they're good at selling, but they're not actually the right person for the job. So I think the important thing, which you just touched on, is to give the diamonds in the rough the chance to really talk and to shine. Because the people sometimes who might not have the best eye contact or might not be the most articulate person, but you really get the authenticity of what they're saying. And when they authentically are passionate about the job that you're interviewing them for, 
it comes through, no matter how polished they are. One of my favorite examples was a woman I placed years ago who had two fret black teeth, fret like crazy hair, was wearing a moo-moo basically, but I knew I could see in her that she was a perfect fit for this particular job. And I prepared my client and I said, listen, presentation-wise, this person is not a Barbie doll. She's not going to come in and knock your socks off and be wearing the perfect suit. But I guarantee you, skill set-wise and culture-wise, because I knew this firm, I said, you guys are going to love her. And to this day, she is the only person who actually got offered the job during the interview. They didn't even go through me. <laughs> they offered her the job on the spot. But Good. it was my being able to tell that culture-wise and that there was something beyond not reading a book by its cover, basically. I think too many interviewers see somebody who's pretty or polished or handsome, and they think, oh, this person will be a good fit, and they don't take the time that it's necessary to ask those open-ended questions and to make sure that it is the right cultural fit. So I think it's a detriment to many companies who operate that way. Do you think that there's any progress being made with companies uh, better defining their culture and what they're looking for? Uh, that, to me, seems like a really big problem. Is anyone making advances there? It really depends on the companies that you're talking about. I have seen probably about in the last five years, 20% of the overall clients that we work with have fine-tuned, clear definitions of what it is that their company culture is all about. And to be quite honest, those are my favorite clients to work with because there's no question. When I know what that company's goals are or what their mission statement is and they're in line and everybody they hire is in line with that, it's like, shooting fish in a barrel, to be quite frank, when you're trying to place people with them because you uh -huh. know exactly what they want. And so unfortunately, I would say most of the companies out there, the, some of the tech companies are very clear. I think most of the Googles, the Yahoos, the Facebooks of the world are very clear on what they want their company goals and their mission statements to be, and they hire people very much in line with that. But I think some of the more old-school, traditional companies and even some of the law firms I work with have a harder time defining their culture because especially when you get in a law firm situation, you have so many head honchos and so many rainmakers that oftentimes there's a lot of disconnect between what one person thinks and what another person thinks. And I find the firms that I work with where all of the partners are in agreement, the hiring manager is in agreement, it has a trickle-down effect, and it really depends on who's running the company. If the person who's running the company has a good, solid sense of what they want and they clearly communicate that to the people who are hiring for them, it has amazing implications for how long people stay with them. Those are the companies that have the, lo the lowest turnover because there's a buy-in to the company. And so unfortunately, to answer your original question, I don't think that enough companies are really fine-tuning what their company culture or their mission statement is all about and getting the buy-in of their employees. But at least I'm seeing it a little bit more than we used to. Yes, and I think a lot of companies are getting f confused, by the way, with culture, meaning, you know, back massages once a week and indoor <laughs> golf ranges and, you know, sparkling water and fresh walks every three every hour. You know, it's there, there's confusion in the marketplace with culture. Culture is much deeper than that, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. I think it's something that's integral in the organization. It's something that it's palpable. It's something you can feel. Like you said, it's not the massages. It's not the walks. It's that... When an employee comes in, they know that they're there to make a difference in whatever industry it is, and that buy-in, it really resonates throughout everybody. It's almost like everybody in those organizations that are clear on what their mission statement, their definition, what their culture is, 
it's palpable. Every person, no matter who you meet in that company, you get the same experience of every one of those people. And I think to me, that's the definition of a great organization mm-hmm. and not easy to find. Jennifer, thanks so much again for being on the show today. Oh, my pleasure, Byron. Thank you for having me. Jennifer, who do you want to get a hold of you and how can they get a hold of you? That's a great question. So for anybody who's looking to purchase the book or find out more about it, you can actually find the first 30 pages of the book for free at StopHopingStartHunting.com. And if you click on Buy the Book, you get to read the first 30 pages and check it out. And for anybody who perhaps is looking for a job uh, on the staffing side to work for Fortune 500 or AM100 law firms, particularly in California, uh, they can always go to my other website, which is www.j as in Jennifer, h as in Harry, c as in cats, c as in cats, s as in sam.com, and that is my staffing firm website where we do staff for uh, legal law firms as well as corporations throughout California and occasionally New York and Chicago. Well, you've been a fabulous guest today with some great advice. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you again, Byron. It was all my pleasure. Right on. Until next week, everybody, I hope your life's a little smarter, better, faster, and wiser, particularly when it comes to landing the big job. Thanks so much. See you next week. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.